Hello, and welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. We're here on site at Mission Hills Church in San Marcos, California, for the IBCD uh, Summer Institute. I have here with me Curtis Solomon and Greg Gifford, who led the pre-conference on PTSD. To get started, I thought what we might do is just introduce yourself, how you got into biblical counseling, as well as the subject of PTSD. First of all, um, my name is Greg Gifford, and I've had the privilege of working in biblical counseling for, it's been about my seventh year now, going into my eighth year. And for me, it started when I felt under-resourced with God's Word. And what I mean by that is started to do a marriage counseling situation and had a bachelor's degree in pastoral ministry and in Bible. And I had no idea how to take that theology and make it work for that couple. And so that kind of kick-started within me an interest to be able to do that more effectively. And long story short, I ended up pursuing that. Uh, the Lord opened the door for me to be able to now teach it. I teach it at Master's University in Santa Clarita, California, and to also practice it. So as a biblical counselor, as a pastor of my church doing counseling. But all of it really could go back to that one event where I was ordering a Christian Counselor's Manual by Jay Adams because I had no idea how to help this couple. <laughs> and I was hoping he would bail me out. But that was it. That was the moment. I hear that involved. so often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, Curtis here, and I got into biblical counseling, it's crazy to think about, but about almost 19 years ago when I took a class with Dr. John Street on marriage and family counseling because I thought, I'm going to be a pastor. I was studying at the Master's University College back then, and I thought, oh, pastors, they might have to do some marriage counseling or something like that. I had no idea the the Pandora's box of issues I was going to open up and realize that the Bible has so much to say in practical issues far beyond just how to keep couples from killing each other. Um, and it's been a long, long journey since then. And I got into particularly interested in the issue of post-traumatic stress disorder. I served as a veteran uh, in the Air Force, or I didn't serve as a veteran. I served in the Air Force <laughs> and I'm now a veteran. And, and uh, obviously having a heart for men and women in service. After I completed my degree in seminary, I served at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and that just grew seeing so many people going through such hard, difficult issues, and the kind of atrocious help they were getting in a lot of areas in in the VA, especially in the mental health area, and thinking, man, I would really love to be able to help in this. And I knew at that point that biblical counseling would have something to say, but as I looked around, there weren't a lot of great resources out there. So I thought, Lord, if this is something you'd have me do, I'd love to help in that area. And when I started my PhD studies at Southern, the doors flew wide open for me to work with a great organization and study post-traumatic stress and from a biblical perspective. So, so your involvement with uh, PTSD came out of, you know, you being, uh, seeing the need inside of the uh, military world, the veterans affairs, that sort of thing. How about you, Greg? Same or is it different? Yeah, it was the same. I did four years in the army and in that four years, uh, so the, the story I just gave you about the couple that happened before the Army and did four years of Army after my undergraduate. So I, I knew that God's Word had answers. I just didn't know what they were. And what was taking place is PTSD was all around me, yet I didn't have a clue how God's Word would inform those struggling with PTSD. So in the military, as I was getting out, that's when it became most prevalent for me. A lot of us on our way out are going through these evaluations of 
mental health, physical health, et cetera. And peers and colleagues were being diagnosed with this with no help. So it was kind of at that time to where I said, Lord, if you would allow me, I would love to help make a difference in this area of PTS or PTSD, whatever that looks like, uh, writing or teaching or counseling. And so for me, that's where the journey started was when I left the Army. Now, maybe what would be helpful for our listeners is PTSD description. I think we have a general idea of what it is and traumatic uh, stress, but can you put a little bit more meat on the bones of, of what that term means? And I heard you reference PTS versus PTSD, maybe dialogue about the difference between those two, or why do you distinguish those two? Uh, I mean, I'll give you, if you want kind of more of the textbook definition of post-traumatic stress disorder from the DSM, uh, it's going to be an issue, an anxiety disorder, a stress disorder that happens to a person after they've experienced a severe traumatic event, and that's limited to things that involve death or serious injury or the threat of those things or sexual violence. And the symptoms occur, begin a month to any time after a month in somebody's life, and they exist for over a month. And the symptoms are clustered around three main areas, intrusive issues, uh, negative cognitive and, and mood issues. And then the third would be hypervigilance or, or um, the reaction to uh, overactive startle response, those types of things. That's kind of the, the DSM, the secular world's definition of post-traumatic stress in a nutshell. Um, biblically speaking, I like to think of it as a, a whole person involved response to very difficult situations. Uh, and what I mean by whole person is it involves, there's some biological aspect to it, but it also affects our spiritual life, our emotions, our cognitive abilities, that kind of thing. And I do try to limit it to trauma to be something that attacks the person and or observing that attack on somebody else, their life, limb, sexual uh, attack, that kind of thing. The differentiation that started to take place is that at one point it was PTSD and then the VA started to back off of the disorder and to say, well, that you can actually have a normal response towards trauma. So just because you respond towards trauma, and Curtis said this earlier, it's this abnormal circumstance, just because you're responding towards an abnormal circumstance doesn't mean you have a disorder. So they started to backpedal just a little bit in terms of using disorder. And so PTS started to be an alternative to where we're saying, hey, is it possible that you've been through something traumatic without having a disorder? Yeah, that's that's something that's totally possible. So I definitely like the way Curtis has been angling that. Let's drop the disorder and let's use post-traumatic stress as what you're facing. So I, I heard you say something to the effect of it's a normal response to an abnormal situation. Is that right? Yeah, because some people, a disorder implies that something went, something is wrong with me, that I'm having an abnormal reaction to normal everyday life. And really, we're helping people understand, now this is a normal reaction to really extreme circumstances, not the other way around. Uh, the other reason I think disorder is helpful, I mean, I understand why it's included in the VA for, or in secular therapeutic models, you can't diagnose it or prescribe for it or get insurance reimbursement if it's not a disorder. But there's also the fact that because it interferes with life, that's what they slap the label on. But it's actually, I think the VA has found and we've found it's more harmful to the person wrestling with it if it's called a disorder because they feel broken or they feel like a, a freak or something's wrong with them. In reality, there's nothing wrong in the sense of 
they had an abnormal reaction to normal circumstances. They're responding, in a sense, normally to really abnormal circumstances. Now, we often think about PTSD in um, the combat situation, um, but I imagine there's a continuum uh, of other types of situations. Where else are we seeing uh, PTS diagnosed? Um, what other types of situations? And does it, is it different, or you know, do, you, do you think about it differently from a combat situation versus you know, maybe another type of trauma? Yeah, there's natural disasters, uh, rape, so sexual abuse, obviously combat. There's the, the frequency of those, which has led to some of the PTSD or complex PTSD, where it, it's been a pattern over time. So more frequent, experiencing it more often, as opposed to a one-time event. Right. Okay. Um, some of the research I've done, they've even suggested homelessness is a form of a trigger event. So there's, a, there's multiple potential sources for that trigger event. Yeah, and uh, a lot of other fields where you're seeing it often, I think part of the reason it's been a lot of this understanding of it has been limited to the military is just the, the logistics of research. You know, the term didn't come about until the 1980s, actually, after the Vietnam War. There had been a lot of understanding. But you have a large population of people who are exposed to very traumatic events that are accessible to a medical population. So the military in the United States has been a perfect place for that. But you're seeing a lot of uh, prison guards, uh, inmates, because of the violence and things that take place in prisons, first responders, firefighters, police officers, EMTs. They're seeing trauma happen on a regular basis. They're faced with death often. Uh, I was talking to somebody today at the pre-conference about ER nurses. They're having a lot of ER nurses seeing really traumatic wounds come in through the hospital. They're wrestling with it. Yeah, and then trauma, as we talked about earlier today, is just a part of life, right? From the first siblings born on this earth, one murdered the other. Uh, and you can just go down through the list of human history, and it's, it's all around us. In your studies, have you been able to distinguish, you know, any kind of... Um, identifiers for those who go through trauma, you know, very same trauma as other people. Some get, um, they suffer with the PTS uh, and the, and the um, other types of uh, memories. And, and uh, I think you, you, you called it uh, the response, these, these triggers, versus those that maybe same event or similar events, but don't necessarily struggle. Yeah, you want to start that one off? I'll, I'll start in one sense in the sense that there's there's various factors that play into it. I mean, we could have a whole chapter on a book on, or three chapters in a book on the different factors that play into it. Um, the secular world recognizes them in three categories, pre-traumatic, peri-traumatic, and post-traumatic. So factors that were a part of somebody's life before they went through trauma. So if you think about the person raised in a Christian home versus a non-Christian home, the belief system they have, what they think is okay in life, whether or not they believe there's a God who's in control, that's going to radically alter how they respond to a traumatic event. And then post-traumatic is also how they responded after the event. You know, did they go to their church and seek counsel, or did they run to alcohol, drugs, and women? To those things are going to complicate. And then Greg's book and what he talks about is the interpretive nature, and he talks about a lot of other influencing factors that will. Yeah, alter how somebody responds. Yeah, I mean, it, in in my mind, I'm just echoing what you've said already, though, that those that seem to respond well to those extremely detrimental events, I mean, we've 
you know that loved one that you find out something about their past and you think, oh my goodness, like I never knew that about you. You've never told me that. And you've done so well. Some of it is about that worldview and how they're interpreting that past and how their response towards that past should look. So the, a significant influence comes to spiritual maturity too. I'm not saying that you're spiritually immature if you struggle with PTSD, but if you know what to do with some of those traumatic moments, then you know how to respond to them now in the present. I'm glad you're talking about that aspect because I'm thinking to uh, counselees who are not believers and how they respond um, primarily against God, meaning they blame God for that traumatic event. So how do you how do you approach them? Yeah, well, I mean, that's this isn't unique to PTS or PTSD. You know, how do we approach the angry counselee? There's a sense in which all of us have a, a, a struggle in our theology proper somewhere. And that means that all of us have a wrong belief about God to some degree. There's a sense in which the person who's angry at God, they need to understand his goodness. They need to understand he's a God of mercy. They need to understand that that good God can be a good father to them if they would humble themselves before him and become his child. So that maybe they're getting wrong aspects of God or underdeveloped aspects of God. There's other aspects of their theology proper that they have to grow in, that this good God has good plans for you if you would just be open to them. There, just a story that might illustrate it really well. There's a book written called The Chosen Few, and it follows a, a company of Army Rangers through uh, their deployment in Afghanistan, and it highlights one of the worst battles in Army history called the Battle of Wanat. And at the end of the book, the testimony of their captain is that he was a believer when he was serving. Um, but he says his theology proper was off in the sense that he, he, he had a deal with God, or his understanding was God has a deal with you that if I love you, I do all the right things, then myself and my men are going to get home safe. And he saw going through the Battle of Wanat some just horrific things, including one young soldier who was a believer, a strong believer, everybody loved, just the funny guy in the in the platoon. And he was, I mean, killed in a very horrific way in that battle. And he saw that and he said, I lost my faith. But then later on, he was reading a book by Johnny Erickson Tata and... Um, Steve Estes, and he realized the power and how God actually uses suffering to draw us closer to him and to make us more real. And he said, that understanding, that shift in my thinking about my theology, of what I believed about God, brought me back to faith to really understand God in a deeper, more meaningful way. Now, there's, there's a physical component to PTSD, and, and you're talking about the spiritual component. So as biblical counselors, is there more than just the spiritual side we have to think about? Do we have to partner with other, um, whether that be physicians or, or other um, professionals, to counsel somebody with PTSD? Or is it more of a spiritual nature where we're just, you know, focused on that aspect yeah um, from a lot of the research i've done there's definitely a physiological component to it um especially when you get into the neurology and the adrenal fatigue most i mean i think all of us are going to recognize as biblical counselors you want your people getting medical checkups making sure there's not other things like that uh, adrenal fatigue is a, a, a big issue with a lot of people with post-traumatic stress um, and they can get different medications but i'll be honest i've seen a lot of people go from being over a dozen meds to three dozen meds come down to very little um, through 
the counsel that they can receive through God's word, not advocating and telling people to get off your medications, but they've seen, and, and a lot of the veterans that I've seen feel like they're in a fog because of this cocktail of medications that they're on. And when they're not on those, they're actually able to think and process through the issues that are, they're facing a whole lot better. Um, the, the brain science that is going, and the stuff that's going on in the brain with post-traumatic stress is not necessarily gonna be helped by any particular medication that they've seen. I mean, they're experimenting with everything, EMDR, uh, lots of psychotropic drugs, all those things, but really from the biblical counseling side or biblical perspective, we can help them process through the thinking that can actually reverse some of the, the physiological changes that have taken place in their brain and just helping them understand really how to walk through those things because the damage that's been done to their brain that's associated with post-traumatic stress is not, uh, it's not an irreversible wound. It's not like an amputated leg that they can't grow back. It can actually be affected by their thinking and, and change that way too. So in their secular research to back up the fact that talk therapy, quote unquote, can reverse some of the, the deleterious effects that chronic stress chemicals have on the brain so it's pretty interesting Greg you talked about the, um, the, the dealing with um, suffering and how that brings you closer to God you know as far as um, you know the person what are some of the things though that as a biblical counselor you would want people to avoid so maybe the mistakes biblical counselors might make when trying to help somebody that's struggling with PTS yeah there's I think there's a few, at least, when we talk about the nature of suffering. You know, when sometimes we crassly insert our sufferology into a person's deep, dramatic moments, and we totally minimize the long-term pain that they have gone through. I think through those who have been through child abuse, those who have faced spousal abuse, we're, and we're not talking about an event on a night. We're talking about years of their life. And so if we're not careful, what we do is we just minimize the level of pain and the gravity of their scenario for you know, X amount of years. Some of them are still in very difficult times. So that would be one huge mistake is that we minimize what they've gone through and we patly say God's using this suffering. Let's say with Paul, this is light and momentary. Let's go to a Romans 8.28 there's a sense in which we need to feel the weight of what they're going through. I would start by just saying, hey, we can't minimize the suffering that some people are facing. That would be a terrible offense on our part and an easy way to lose a counselee if they feel like you're minimizing them or blowing off the sufferings they're facing. So how might you transfer them from you know, not minimizing the suffering to kind of you know, walk them through the next step? Is there yeah, good. I think in terms of eight eyes, maybe you think similarly, <laughs> that that's, you know, the idea of involvement, mm -hmm. that I really want to understand what you've gone through. Help me understand the pain that you face. You don't have to give me all the gory details, but let me get a sense of the weight of what you're going through, because maybe there's a sense in which you're, you don't really have an issue. You're just suffering and mourning right now. There's no quote unquote heart problem to use our biblical counseling terminology. We're just saying that, hey, you're going through a lot, and I totally understand why that could be difficult. Let me see if I can help sustain you through that with the truth of God's Word and practical ministry. So I would just say, think through the biblical idea of involvement, of allying yourself with the counselee as a start to then be able to move towards speaking truth and, and directing them with God's Word. 
you know, and on that note, too, I'm wondering, maybe this is repetitive, but I like the idea of trying to prepare the church. Like you said, Curtis, this, well, I mean, in dealing with counseling women, I find that this is very frequent, um, that they're dealing with PTS or triggers are huge. Um, so it's it's like it's going to happen. Something traumatic is going to happen. How do we prepare the church ahead of time? Is there a preventative medicine that we can use, uh, strengthen the church in prior just to prepare them for these situations. No, that's a big, I mean, I, I, don't get me started. I could Uh-oh. go down that path for a long <laughs> How time. How many more I think minutes it's, do we have? <laughs> it's actually an amazing opportunity that the church and parents even have to prepare people ahead of time to, to face trauma. It goes back to what I was saying about the, the peri-traumatic factor, or pre-traumatic factors. Um, I told my pastor the other week, you, thank you for helping my sons prepare better for facing trauma in their lives because he was just talking about the fact that we are going to suffer. And if we teach kids that this life is all about having happiness and life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and having lots of fun and good stuff and everything's going to be great and then the reality of life in a fallen world smacks them upside the head and that belief comes in conflict with what they see in reality something has to give is it going to be their previous belief of what this life is about is it going to be their belief of what god is like is it going to be their interpretation of reality so they say well maybe i just don't understand the world like what's going or is there almost like a what the world would call dissonance like a, a tearing in the soul that there's something not right here but if we go into life expecting suffering and being ready to face suffering and recognizing that god uses suffering for our good and we can be better off after suffering than we were before that prepares people to face. Yeah, maybe I could add one more yeah. as we, because this is really like a subcategory of suffering, but it's all of us have this embedded vision of success. Like mm. implicitly, what we see is right and human flourishing. And within suffering, what it creates so many problems within us because we're thinking, well, this isn't what God would want. This isn't what I deserve. This isn't what I should be going through. When we have that vision of success as greater Christ likeness, and we think God uses multiple ways to accomplish greater Christ-likeness in me. And Curtis hit the nail on the head earlier. Rarely is that the times of ease in my life when God's forming me most into the image of yeah. His Son. So it's that idea of what's your vision of success? If it's to be more like Jesus, then God will use suffering to accomplish that. Yeah. And so parents can help with that. Friends, every, everybody, the church can do play a great role. And I mean, Richard Baxter, pastor writing hundreds of years ago, he talked about that a lot, that we need to expect suffering and just that should be Jesus said it <laughs> the world is going to hate you this world is going to be hard and difficulty will come just so. a good theology of suffering to yeah. begin with yeah. that's good thanks do you see a difference between gender or age as it relates to um, how to handle traumatic situations or even other you know categories of, of people uh, yeah, yes. I mean, statistically, there's some variations in, in how people respond. Age is a huge one. Children, uh, a lot of times because they haven't developed a full worldview and understanding of the world, um, act out differently than, than adults would. And it doesn't look like the same type of symptomology that you would see in adults. Um, so being able to even identify a child has been abused or other things like that can come about through just variations in the way they play, uh, developmental delays, other things like that. And uh, 
addressing them and talking to them about it is going to be helpful, but it's not always going to be a direct, like they don't have the capacity yet to look you in the eye and to tell you about how they're thinking and processing internally. So getting to what's going on in their heart is going to be difficult, but that's not different with post-traumatic stress and other issues. That's pretty common with yeah. a lot of issues. Yeah, uh, same for me. It's been age primarily, and the different age ranges find different things to be traumatic. I haven't noticed anything. Uh, this could be just lack of exposure, but no significant differences in ethnicity or gender. Um, I think women are more ready for help and more vocal about it, but uh, not to be overgeneralizing. A lot of the ladies that have struggled with PTS or PTSD have come forward about that quicker than some of the guys. So that those are the observations that I would make. And from a biblical counseling uh, perspective, it seems like we're just starting in this area, right, about how to effectively minister um, to whether it's PTS or trauma, other types of trauma. Um, where else um, or, or, or where are the areas that you think need further development or need people you know, like yourself or even that you might be thinking about to push into other areas in this uh, with with post-traumatic stress body soul yeah the body i mean soul say, is, yeah body soul connection we need that body soul work done because there is a physiological component that seems involuntary you know it, it seems uncontrolled we need greater resources to help a person think that through from a physiological yet still a biblical perspective i would say yeah and i think uh there while there's not you don't want to get too nuanced in saying that like pow ptsd is different than combat ptsd is different than sexual trauma and all these things there are variation there are some minor variations some of the general broad principles will be applicable across all forms of trauma suffering issues but um things like something that's known as complex ptsd greg mentioned a little bit earlier is those people who have been exposed to multiple traumas over and over and over again. That's typically oftentimes women and children. Uh, and then we need more people looking into that. And especially I think we need more women who are thinking deeply and writing about that. There are a few out there who are. Um, but just in the practical counseling, it's not going to be appropriate for guys to do that, uh, that type of counseling. So we need more women doing that. And then just deeper thinking on some of the nuances, but then also not getting too buried in the weeds, so to speak. I was talking with a family, and they came up and said, I was hoping that you would talk more about uh, PTSD with kids. Mm -hmm. There's not, I mean, I don't know of anything no. out there. I said, hey, I don't, I'm sorry, guys, that you got to write that book. I don't know. That's a, that's a big area. Mm -hmm. And I think one last helpful observation on my part would at least be that really helping think through, is it wrong to face some of the memories that you have? Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm not necessarily convinced that it's wrong to remember those things. And sometimes people feel a guilt about remembering and the memory component of PTS or PTSD. And so there, there could be greater work there just helping bifurcate. Okay, when would that lead towards sinful responses or when are you recalling an event without it being negative in any way? And there's, there's some point, too, I mentioned earlier in our talks, the, the idea of helping reinterpret somebody's history. And there are ways and methodologies of walking people, actually having them walk through the trauma in their mind 
and you'll actually see the physiological responses start to, you know, their shortness of breath, they start to sweat, their heart rate goes up, and you can remind them, you know, this is a memory. You're not actually reliving this. And helping them do Philippians 4, think about what is true, what is right, what is lovely. You're not reliving these experiences. They aren't happening to you this in this moment. I'm here, we're in a safe room, let's talk about it. And, and doing that, but we, need, we definitely need more um, thought and, and exercise into some methodology like that with, with biblical counseling background and, and perspective. One of the things we haven't touched on is the, the family dynamics. Um, are there, I assume there are family dynamics. Um, how should families handle a situation where one individual is really going through this difficult time? I'll, you know, that's your, you that's your rapid fire. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you wrote the book on it. There's, so you, <laughs> you know, there's there are so many ways. I talk to so many wives who are authentically confused yeah. about how to respond to their husband during this time. So, what would you tell the wife who has a PTS husband? Right. I would say what I do tell them is that some of the things that you would expect of any other person are still true of your husband. He has a weakness that he's struggling with now, but we still expect certain things to be true of him. I shared some of these in the pre-conference. We're not just letting him off the hook for any type of aberrant behavior, sinful behavior, that God still looks at him and holds him accountable to certain things, and we do too. It doesn't mean that we expect him to be who he was, but we do expect him to be faithful before the Lord. So that's, that's one thing that I try and help reorient is that you're not off the hook for any type of response that you want to make. I'm not, I'm not demonizing every response, but just suggesting that your anger, substance abuse, those things aren't acceptable. We, we're not going to tolerate those things, even though you have a struggle right now. Yeah, no, I would just, uh, with the family, I think there's one extreme, maybe not extreme, but one mindset within the secular world is to, that this is an issue that will never go away. This will never change. So what you need to do is you need to inform those around you and have them change their perspective and how they respond to you and you just keep being you because you have this disorder now and you're just stuck. And it's that's very different than what Greg's talking about, about recognizing a weakness is not saying, oh, I don't expect this person to change or grow. Um, but but helping kids understand, yeah, dad might zone out from time to time or, or, or he's probably not going to be as funny and go lucky as he used to be. But he still loves you and he still wants to do that. And so keep looking for opportunities. So talking to kids about just helping them understand the struggle without excusing the sinful behaviors. Exactly right. And I think one thing we haven't mentioned specifically in the podcast is the, is the idea of post-traumatic growth or what I like to call post-traumatic sanctification, that God does use this suffering to make you better. And well, I guess Greg kind of did mention that a little bit. I just love pointing out to people that the greatest good that has ever occurred in all of human history, all of history ever, came through the greatest trauma that was ever executed by, by humankind. The crucifixion of our Savior was horribly traumatic. Mm -hmm. Torture for you know at least 36 hours, followed up by one of the worst executions you can imagine. But God used that to bring salvation mm -hmm. to humankind and to conquer sin and death. And, and that is a our suffering, our trauma is just a, a small uh, image and mimic of, of that great mm -hmm. truth. So. Very true. Well, that sounds like a great place uh, to end this podcast. Um, Curtis, Greg, I want to thank you 
uh, for the time you're spending uh, in this topic. Um, it's a much needed help. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much needed for biblical counseling. And uh, we do pray that God blesses your work uh, as you proceed, especially the, uh, the doctoral work that you're doing, Curtis. Um, we, we, I think you're really close. If I'm close not. to being mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> Which has to be a huge mm-hmm. blessing for you. So that ends our podcast. Uh, for more information, you can listen to the full audios of our Summer Institute, Institute pre-conference on PTS. Uh, online at ivcd.org.